Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will finish looking at this doxology of Ephesians 3, 20, and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So in the last episode, we looked at verse 20, and we are governed by this idea that we ought to give glory to God that is due his name. And in that episode, we looked at the powerful recipient of glory, now to him, that is obviously God, and we saw the potentiality of his power, that he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We saw the limited nature of our minds uh, above all that we ask or think, and the power uh, that has been granted to believers. And so that brings us to Today's verse, which is verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And that leads us to consider the purposeful location of the display of his glory. We ought to give glory the God that is due his name, but he has purposed to display his glory in a specific location and through a specific vehicle, if you will. Okay, so let's look at the location first and than the vehicle. To him be the glory in the church. So the location of the the ultimate glory of God is in the church today. So God manifests his uh, the evidence of him, right? We, we know that his existence is manifest throughout all creation. Go back and look at Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. We talk about general revelation, but where does God receive glory in this fallen and corrupt world? Well, he, he receives it and he brings it to himself in the church. When you stop and think about it, it really makes sense because outside of the church, people aren't trying to really be a part of God's program. And if they are, if they say that they are, and they're doing it apart from the church, well, then that shows that there's a level of spiritual ignorance. Uh, I hope that makes sense, but logically, it really can't be any other way. Uh, because Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. That's Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 18. And, and so we see that and we understand that his program in this world is for the church. A lot of people say that they're burned out with the church and they say that I'm still a Christian, but I don't like church. I don't like uh, all the politics that happen. I don't like the little squabbles and quarrels. Well, that's just too bad. I mean, to be quite honest, it's, it, it's, I'm sorry, but that's not your call because Jesus is the one who started the church. He said he would build the church and the church is his program in this age. Church hasn't been around forever, but it has been around now for about 2000 years. And this is God's program in the world right now. And so if you are a believer, then you belong in a church. 
if you're not a believer, we want you to become a believer, right? And we want you to believe the gospel. We want you to understand what's at stake here. We want you to encounter the holiness of God and see your own sinfulness and your need for forgiveness. Recognize that that forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ and him alone, that he was born of a virgin. He left his throne in heaven and came down and took on a humble man and took this great humility, Philippians chapter two, this kenosis, the self-emptying, all that, right? He did that, but yet he remained sinless in his earthly ministry, but he took on sinful flesh uh, without being sinful himself. And then because of that, uh, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we would glorify him, right? Right. Second uh, uh, Corinthians five twenty one, beautiful passage. But the point is, is if you believe that, uh, you know, and if you don't believe the gospel, we want you to believe it. That through Jesus Christ and through His sacrifice on the cross, you can have eternal life. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be restored to a right relationship with God. And once that happens, and He leaves you here on earth, then His plan for you to grow is through the church, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and you can't get around that. You can't, you can't twist the scriptures in any such a way as to say, I don't need the church. Uh, you do need the church. You, you actually do need the church and you, you need it because a God always requires us to walk by faith and he wants us to do just that. And so it takes faith to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you tell me to do, even if it doesn't make sense. Although I think once we examine that doctrine a little bit more, it does make sense. So I think that's kind of a weak argument in and of itself. But, but then we see other aspects where it's very hard to fulfill some of the Lord's commands. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We've got a lot of commandments. And he says, we're supposed to pray for one another bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, how do you bear one another's burdens? Who's the one another there? That's other believers. Well, that means that you're supposed to be in regular communication with them. You're supposed to be regularly assembling together. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. So you don't want to neglect assembling. There, There may be times, and those are exceptions, not the rule, where you don't come together. But as a general rule, you should be getting together on a regular basis. We know that the church is a spiritual family. We know that this is a spiritual house and we are living building blocks, uh, according to Peter. And so we have all of this terminology. And I mean, again, there are people always come to me with exceptions and I get it. There are exceptions to every rule, but as a general rule, when you are a family, uh, then you're, you're living together. You're doing life together, you know, at least for a time until the children grow older and then leave, you know, leave the home. But otherwise we're, we're in this together, thick and thin. Does that mean that I'm always just on a hundred percent, you know, everything's great and hunky dory with my kids or even with my wife all the time? No. (laughs) Would they say the same of me? Not in the least. But the fact is, is that doesn't mean that we just give up on one another and abandon one another. And God has designed the church so that it functions as an organism 
to affect a couple different things. A, it's for others' good, right? So we pray for others, and we bear one another's burdens in prayer before the throne. We we take them before the throne, and so there's something that we can do there. But then other people are doing that for us, and that has a work in our life. This is the way that God is sanctifying us and turning us into the image of Christ. All of this is accomplished in the church, and when we are when we are transformed into the image of Christ, when we are growing through difficult and thorny relationships and things that you know we don't like as much and all of those things that you know, the objections that people you know raise, the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, if you are obedient to God, he will use it for your good. And when you are growing in Christ and in Christ's likeness, that's sanctification, and you're being used of God to help other people grow, that is bringing glory to his name. And that's not happening outside of the church. I mean, it just isn't <laughs> because he's designed the church to be the place where that takes place and where he gets the glory. And so we really need to, we need to stop and consider that to him be the glory in the church. Wow. Absolutely incredible. So that's the location of all the places in the world. The place where God is going to be most glorified is actually going to be in the church. You want to be a part of it. So do I. And Paul recognized it, and he's encouraging the Ephesians to do the same thing. And of course, uh, you know, we see that here. So that's the location. What's the vehicle? How is he bringing glory to himself? What's through the person? Uh, and it's Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus. Okay. And so uh, he does this through Christ. So what Christ has accomplished at Calvary, uh, the new life that he has procured, the, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, which he offers, uh, it's a free gift of God, but he's done that there. And then when people have their sins forgiven and they are a new person in Christ, old things have passed away, all things have become new. The Holy Spirit baptizes them into the church universal and now they are part of this larger body. And the way that that works is, listen, the church universal never assembles, okay? So don't get caught up in that and say, okay, that negates your last point. It doesn't. Um, the church universal never assembles together because of different time zones and all those other things. There is no pastor of the church universal. There are no deacons of the church universal. The church universal, as in all believers of all time, even all believers on the planet today, right? They don't come together and observe the Lord's table. They don't do baptism. So we can't talk about it that way. And, and the New Testament only speaks of the church universal in just a handful of places, all the rest of the times, and there are many, many references to the church, always reference a local visible church. You can't be a part of a ministry that's 10,000 miles away. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sure there is a great Bible believing church somewhere in Japan. I don't know why that's stuck into my head right now, but I'm here in South Florida right now. I'm sure there is a body of believers somewhere in Japan. Let's say Tokyo, because it's a huge city, 25 million people. Okay. There's got to be a great Bible believing church in Tokyo. I'm sure there is. I'm not doubting that but I am not involved in that church locally. I have no idea how to pray for the believers in that church, nor do they even know who I am, nor would I expect them to know me. They don't know how to pray for me. I don't know how to pray for them. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know their needs. They don't know my needs. And, and you see how that works. <laughs> and then you can take that and just jump across the, uh, the straits there between uh, Japan and the mainland. And, and now you're in China. And I know that there's underground churches in China and 
you know, we could repeat that scenario all over the place. And so God's plan for us through Jesus Christ is to glorify himself in the local church. And he does that through what Christ has done. So it's a glorious thing. That's the purposeful location of the display of his glory. He has designed this. It's not an accident. It's not just a logical outcome. It is his purposeful design that he would receive glory in the church. And that brings us to one last consideration. Then this last phrase shows us the prevailing time of his glory. When will God be glorified? When will he receive this glory? This beautiful doxology here. Well, the prevailing time of his glory, according to the last phrase, is throughout all generations forever and ever. So this is a really interesting thing because it speaks to a couple different aspects. Number one, it says that the glory that he receives in the church, and now it's going on 2,000 years, and who knows how much longer that's going to go. There, there will come an end to that. There will come an end to this earth uh, and, and this present economy of things. And, but the glory that has been heaped to him through the church over these last two millennia will carry on forever all generations will speak of the glory that was heaped upon him in in the church age and it will last forever and ever but then there's another aspect where this actually points to what we call the immutability of god that he doesn't change okay to him be the glory in the church and christ jesus throughout all generations this actually speaks to god's nature as well that he is unchanging he's eternal he is immutable which means that he does not change uh, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's really quite a fascinating concept that we as finite human beings have a hard time wrapping our mind around when we start to think about it at any length. But perhaps we think of this with regards to mortality or other attributes, but when it comes to communicable attributes, ones that we share with God, uh, we are actually fickle and prone to change. So we don't share immutability. That's not something that is communicable. But when we speak of God not changing, we have to remind ourselves that he does not grow old. He does not die. And so he gets this glory forever. And it always is redounding to him at all times. Remember when the Sadducees tried to trick Jesus by asking about the resurrection? At the end of that answer, Jesus said, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but the living for all live to him. That was Luke chapter 20 verses 37 to 38. So we see that the resurrection from the dead was was obviously taught in Moses' day, if properly understood. Jesus gives that instruction. We also see the immutability of God and the fact that he is everlasting when we consider the temple that was built for him. And this is really interesting. When you read through the Old Testament, you know, you'll get through the, uh, the Exodus and under the leadership of Moses and, and all those things, right? So you get through the Pentateuch. And then you come into the promised land and, and they're under Joshua's leadership for a while. And then you enter the period of judges and that's, that spans a long time. And then at the end of the book of judges, uh, and, and as you pass through the time of the judges and, and Peter out, 
Uh, then the people of Israel say they want a king for themselves. And God says, okay, they're not rejecting you. Uh, they're rejecting me. He says this to Samuel. And he says, okay, I'm going to give him a king. And this is what's going to happen. Okay, so we know that story. So he gives him Saul. Saul's the first king and that fails. But then there's David. David is a man after God's own heart. Okay, so that's really interesting. He loves the Lord. He's obviously a sinful, fallible man. We don't have time to go into all of his history. But David really wanted to do something for the Lord. He loved the Lord. He was the sweet psalmist of the Lord, right? He wrote a significant portion of the book of Psalms. And what did he want to do? He wanted to build a temple for God. And God tells him that he's not allowed to do that. And in fact, it fell to his son Solomon. But rather, his preparation for it was what he was allowed to do. David was growing old, getting ready to die. He's laboring to set aside materials. He's training up workers to do this wondrous thing after his death, giving them instructions, not as his own legacy, but for the living God. And God wasn't growing old. (laughs) God can wait a long time. There's no rush. It doesn't have to be in David's time. David ends up dying and Solomon builds the temple. Why? So that the temple, the temple would last even beyond Solomon's years. David made the preparation for it. The Solomon, or the, the temple lasts past Solomon's death. So there are people around well after he is in the ground in the grave, and they're looking at the work that David had started, and yet it was for God who doesn't grow old. God doesn't age. God doesn't die. He still is there and meets with his people in the temple. Okay, it's really, really interesting. And, and that just is a further proof of his immutability, that he is eternal. It's one of those things. Now, when the temple was finally destroyed and then rebuilt and then destroyed again, okay, what do we make of that? Well, nothing from an, an eternal standpoint that has no bearing on God's eternality. It doesn't diminish his power, doesn't diminish his glory, none of those things. But it does show that there was a, an understanding that God never ages, God never changes. So the prevailing time of his glory throughout all generations forever and ever. So you and I are a part of this, and it's really beautiful to end this doctrinal section of Ephesians this way, to recognize that we give God the glory and God receives the glory to himself in the church. And when you are a part of that economy, you are helping glorify God in the way that you ought to. And that should fill you with wonder. It should fill you with awe. It should fill you with love for our Lord. And we say to you, O Lord, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.